sermon series is uh, this this uh, this week. We're going to be continuing the series I started last week. We're we're talking about finding God in the dark night of the soul, which is not a very cheerful topic. So I'm about to rain on the parade. Uh, <laughs> a uh, wow. The this this sermon series is kind of a byproduct of a uh, a Facebook thing. Um, a few weeks ago, it it rained and. Uh, I, I posted a thank God for the rain, and I had uh, a good friend uh, ask me, well, if God is to be thanked when it rains, what about when it doesn't? And, and I decided to preach on that and preach on it for a little while. Uh, so, so last week, we kind of broke the seal on this series, and I'm, I'm going to tell you it's a tough collection of topics, and I, I want to do this not easy answers. I want to do it like serious. Does that make sense? And, and we'll get to that, some of the idea behind that here in a minute. Um, but but I'm going to be doing some Job this morning because because uh, this is I guess you can't talk about suffering or difficulty or hardship without talking about Job um, and and actually I I read a story and I wasn't going to use it and I I realized the appropriateness of it here uh, this morning um, some of y'all are familiar with history some of y'all were there um, <laughs> the, there was a stretch of time during which uh, this, this mythical land used to exist called the Soviet Union. They, they're no longer around. Um, and, and there was a guy who ran the show there. His name was uh, Joseph Stalin, right? And, and really, if you read history carefully, Joseph Stalin, like, he, he wins one of the awards as being, like, one of the worst people ever. Right? We throw that term around lightly. But this is a guy who killed a lot of folks and, you know, like, made people disappear and committed atrocities and starved out entire countries and... I mean, I mean, Stalin was not a good guy. You all with me? Um, the fellow that came after him was a guy named uh, uh, Khrushchev. Nikolai, I think. Isn't that right, Nikolai Khrushchev? I don't know. Um, so Khrushchev came second, or third, actually, but he came after Stalin, and he made it a point to publicly denounce Stalin after he was dead. Um, you couldn't do that when you were alive because you wouldn't survive it. Like, it was a horrible decision to make because he, that you would just be killed. Um, and one day he was doing a speech to this assembled politicians, and he's talking about how horrible Stalin was and how it was, you know, we, they needed to move away from those policies and this way of being and denounce, denounce, denounce. And suddenly a voice yelled out, why didn't you say any of this stuff when he was alive? And Khrushchev pounded the lectern and said, who said that? Stand up. Let me see who you are. And the whole room got quiet. And he stood there. He's like, come on, who said it? He's quiet. And then after about a minute, he said, that's why I didn't say anything when Khrushchev was alive. Um, There's a great deal of of power and strength in anonymity and um, in speaking when authority is not terrifying, right? And and Job is is that book. Uh, Most of y'all are familiar with the story of Job. I'm going to summarize it here. And, and understand, as we kind of dig into this chapter 38, it's way up at the end. Um, I can't possibly do justice to the whole book without preaching on it for three or four years. Like, it's just too much, right? But, but um, I'm going to do my best on this one chapter. Um, to summarize it, what happens is Job is a good guy, right? He is a righteous man, and he's got a huge family and lots of business, and he's healthy, and life is good. And... Um, what happens is Job loses everything, and he loses everything because, um, well, because God gathers up the angels, the council, the heavenly council, and, and uh, the accuser shows up. The word in Hebrew is accuser. And, and the accuser says, well, you know, or God says to the accuser, consider my servant Job. 
he is upright and he praises me and he's, you know, like says good things about Job. And then the accuser says, well, of course, you've given him everything. Take it all away and he'll curse you. And what happens is uh, Job loses everything and his house burns down, his children die, his business disintegrates, and he gets leprosy, which is an awful way to die. And he's sitting in the ashes of his house and he's like got a broken piece of a plate and he's scratching his sores. And, and he's silent and he's mourning. And, and Job stays very steadfast up until this point. Like he, people call him out and he says, well, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. You know, I still got to praise God. I can't be happy if he gives and then takes. Like, like I got to be happy with both. And, and he, he responds like very steadfast. And actually his wife even comes up to him and says, curse God and die, right? Just give up, Job. It's, it's over. And, and Job like sits in silent and he has four friends show up. And these are the kind of friends that you have if, like, you don't need enemies. You know, like, these guys are not great friends. They mean well, but they, they don't do well. These three friends show up, and they begin, they sit silently for several days, which is a Jewish tradition called sitting in Shiva. Shiva. Um, my Hebrew's bad. Um, and, and after the end of three days of sitting silently, they begin to discuss. And it, Job complains. And almost all of Job's talking in this book is a literary form we find in ancient Hebrew, right? Like it's ancient Hebrew literature. Um, and it is the court case, right? And like there are, you read throughout the Old Testament and other Jewish writings from that era, the court case is a major literary form where somebody wants to plead their case, you know, before God or before the justice or whatever. You know, they, they, and it'll be this long book about their case. And Job basically says, I am innocent, I have done nothing wrong, and God is sticking it to me, and it's not fair. And he, he, it's this big, long speech, and then his friends line up, and they say, whoa, 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 Job, this happened because you sinned. And all you got to do is figure out what the sin is and repent, and God will fix it. But you're going to keep getting this until you repent, right? Now, the first week we talked about porcupines and buckets, right? Um for those of y'all who weren't here, I think there were one or two people who weren't here last week. <laughs> um, how do you catch a porcupine? Well, you, you run up to it with a wash tub and you throw the wash tub over it. And that gives you a place to sit while you figure out what to do next. And this whole series of topics is a porcupine under a wash tub, right? It's all hard. And it's, it's best to take it slow and it's best to think about it and maybe sit down every once in a while and pick at it in small bits, Right? Um, it is a bad idea to give easy answers, which is what Job's friends do, right? Um, most of the time, if you catch a porcupine, what do you do? You shoot it. That's how you catch a porcupine is you shoot it, <laughs> and then it's caught, <laughs> or you run it over. But even running it over is kind of dumb. Um, <laughs> so, but like, like, and that's what Job's, like, sometimes we want to give answers to pain and hard questions that are shotgun answers, right? I'm going to blast this right out of the water. Job... Your family died because you're a sinner. You brought this on yourself. It's a bad answer, right? But it's an answer I've heard Christians use. It is. Um, it's, it's the whole book is them arguing that he sinned, and then Job saying, you know what? I didn't. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm innocent. I'm innocent. Um, there's a lot of different angles this book has been understood at, and I think that part of that is because it is, Honestly, is one of the one of the probably top twenty works of literature in history, right? Like it is layered, it's complex, it's difficult. It is it is a very complicated book, um, and and so I'm not trying to explain the whole book. I'm offering some some perspective, 
At the end of the book, what happens is Job has been complaining and crying out and demanding his day in court, and then God shows up. And uh, we're going to pick up where God shows up and where God basically speaks in poetry for three chapters. We're not doing all three um, because we'd be here a long time, and I couldn't possibly do them justice, uh, to be honest with you. So we're going we're to chunk this down first chapter right here. Um, so God shows up, and Job has been demanding, God, get here so I can have my day, so I can tell you why you're wrong, right? These are people sitting out there while Khrushchev is up denouncing <laughs> Stalin saying, hey, you know, what about when, you know, what about, why didn't you say this before? Because in reality, like when you stand before power, when you stand before might, when you stand before strength, it is humbling, right? It is humbling. Um, it's funny, I, uh, when I worked in the children's home, I would watch or I would hear these young men talk about what they would do if the police ever showed up how they would fight the cops, and he'd be so tough and big and bad. And that worked all the way up until the cops showed up, in which case there was a lot of shutting up that happened and a lot of yes, sir, no, sir, right? Like, here we are. Job has talked, and he has talked, and he has talked. And Job isn't necessarily wrong. He's just ignorant. He doesn't understand. And he is assuming that God is cheating him. God shows up, and actually... Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, and real quick, what kind of transition is that? This is the desert. Um, If you've ever been in a desert, actually you see them here, those dust devils, right? Um, I think I saw a fire devil on Facebook recently from out west, you know, where, where a fire caught and the wind twirled it up in the air, right? Like this dust devil comes out, this whirlwind comes out of the out of the blue, flies up to Job's house. He is sitting there, and suddenly God speaks. And God asks, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now, what this means, like we can, there are a lot of ways that we can twist and understand and contort, like from the Hebrew perspective and the way that this book is written, what we're getting here is, who is showing up and making my counsel dumber by talking? Right? Um, There's a movie line, you know, everyone here is dumber for having heard you speak. Um, Job is guessing, right? Job is speaking without wisdom. I I saw a comparison where um, during World War II, you would see where these guys were being bombed, and they would throw up a bunch of smoke, and then they would fire anti-aircraft, but they wouldn't fire at planes. They would sit down and just fire into the smoke and hope they hit something. That's what Job's doing, right? Job has said, well, you know, this, you know, I'm innocent and God's cheating me. God must hate me. I'm, you know, the worst thing ever. And, and then his friends are like, well, you're a sinner. And that's why this, ha- everybody's talking and they got no wisdom. Nobody understands God. But they're speaking as though they do. Y'all, y'all with me? Anybody ever done that? Well, let me tell you what God thinks about that. And I, I sometimes wonder what God thinks about us saying that. Actually, I heard in a a sermon recently, they were talking about um, Joshua when he entered the promised land and he encounters an angel, um, or the pre-incarnate Christ. Is, anyway, and, and Joshua asks, hey, are you on our side? And the answer was, or he actually says, are you on our side or their side? And the guy says, no, I'm not on either side. And a lot of times we'll do that. You know, well, God does this and God does that. And this is, and in reality, God's, nope, sorry, I'm not agreeing with you here. And this is what his friends have done. Um, they 
broke out the shotguns and shot the, the problem under the wash tub, and they, and they, they were wrong. Um, and that's what Job is doing. He's speaking without knowledge. He's speaking without wisdom. And that's kind of a major part of the theme here for the, the coming chapter. Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Um, so watch this. He steps up and he says, who is talking ignorantly and, like, darkening my counsel? You know, who's stepping up and ignorantly talking? Now, put on your big boy pants, because I'm going to ask some questions. If you know everything, you tell me. This is hard. Right? Like, it just it is hard. It is not an easy response. In fact, it's a, it's a miserable hard response. Um, God says, you, your turn. You, you answer my questions. This is the opposite of what Job expected, which I imagine is what the guy in the audience yelling out to Khrushchev thought. Thought it would go a lot smoother than it actually did. And then all of a sudden the guy in power steps forward and says, whoa, wait a minute. I'm in charge. And so God begins to speak. Um, there are a lot of ways this speech has been understood. I think that it's a layered understanding. I think, there are, I think God meant a lot when he talked. Does that make sense? It's easy to try and put this in check boxes. It doesn't work very well. Um, but we'll start out here and I'll offer you what I, what I understand and what I, I've taken away from it and what I, I think the, the text is giving us. So God begins, where, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set the measurements since you know, since you know, or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Um, so he begins with, look, buddy, where were you when, when the world was created? Who, who set the cornerstone for the creation? Job. That's right. Did Job do it? No. Can Job even reasonably answer this question? No. Right. And actually, like this is one of those texts that people have taken and they've tried to turn it into something that's not. God is speaking in poetry. This is a very clear, like Hebrew poetic style. Like it just is what it is. Um, The earth doesn't specifically have a foundation because it's a big ball hanging in space. Right. And actually, early in the book, he mentions the world being a big ball that hangs or uh, like the world hanging in space. Like it's he's not talking about the world having a foundation, like big flat thing sitting on a thing. It's a poetic and is comparing God to a builder. And actually, I'd compare it. I, I have enjoyed watching Norm build stuff for the last few months, uh, mainly because I'm not working. Um, it's much more fun to watch other people work. But Norm is a builder. Norm might be, you might call him a master builder. He is good at building things. He's very clever. He's very creative. Um, this is what God is being compared to, this sort of creative builder, this guy who is assembling the world as a craftsman. And he asks him, or if you're such a craftsman, if you are so filled with wisdom, explain to me this creation thing. Explain to me how the whole cosmos is ordered. Now, there are three divisions in this, in this speech he's about to give him. And the first one is about um, the, the sources of the universe. And this is about the source of the universe, right? Like, where did it, where did it begin? Job, where did it all begin? If you understand, tell me the... Tell me the origins of it all. And he can't. Um, when the morning stars sang together, by the way, is a reference to the angels, by the way. Um, like it's just kind of an interesting reference to the angels. Or the council of heaven would be another way to say that the sons of God would also be angels. Like, so when all of these guys were there singing out and praising God for the creation, where were you? Like how did all this happen? Or who enclosed the sea with doors? 
When bursting forth, it went out from the womb. When I made a cloud its garments and thick darkness its swaddling band, and I placed its boundaries on it, and I set bolts at the doors, and I said, Thus far you shall come, but no further. And shall you, or excuse me, and here shall your proud waves stop. So God stops. Now, some perspective here. How many of y'all have seen the ocean? Ocean's big, right? I mean, like in person seeing it. The ocean's big. The ocean is is kind of kind of scary, actually, if you've never been at the ocean. Um, these are people who live in a landlocked desert country. Um, the sea is terrifying to these people, right? These are people who have never sailed. They're aware an ocean exists, but like water could be very terrifying. And in fact, water was synonymous with death and hell in ancient Hebrew poetry, right? So like, like God talks about controlling the sea, and he means, I controlled the sea. And actually, there's a variation here, which is kind of cool. Um, most of ancient literature, like, like they'll present the ocean as, or the sea as a, uh, as a monster to be fought. And how does God present it? What do we swaddle? We swaddle babies, right? God compares the ocean to a baby that he laid in its crib and said, you're hanging out right here, buddy. And the whole world, like God is, God is this fatherly, masterful creator, this, this overseer of all that is. And he sets the ocean in its limits, this thing that is terrifying and powerful and mighty. And God says, you know what? I can put it right there and keep it there. Um, where were you? How did this happen? Did you watch me do this stuff? And, of course, the answer is... No. Job's got nothing at this point, right? Um, I, I've developed a bad parenting habit. I said I would never, ever do it. My daughter asks me, Dad, can I blank? And I say, no. And she says, why? And I say, because. <laughs> because I said so. And I have said it, and I'm horrible. I can't. I've become my parents. Who, you know, what are you going to do, right? I don't know if my parents actually said that. Like, but God is saying, listen, I know what I'm doing here, Job. I know more than you know. And actually, I think he's also addressing the, the assembled friends, quote unquote friends, um, at, at this point, because they are, they're also guilty of this. Um, have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place? that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it. Um, what this is a reference to, by the way, um, most folks get robbed at night, right? Um, this is sort of this Old Testament theme, like people do evil in the dark. And God says, hey, you know what? Have you ever made the sun rise and chase the evil people back into their holes like cockroaches? Have you? And Job answers, no. Actually, Job answers nothing because he's terrified at this point, I think. Um, it is changed like a clay, like clay under the seal, and they stand forth like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld, and the uplifted arm is broken. Now, there's a trick here, and God is hinting at some things in his part of the poem, but, and we're going to pick this apart a little bit to explain it. Um, the earth is changed like clay under a thing. Have you ever, like, pounded, uh, uh, like, Play-Doh? Renee has Play-Doh. At her house, lots of it, I think, to keep Brooke entertained. Um, <laughs> and, like, you get those little stamps, and you jam it into the Play-Doh, and you get the picture, right? The earth, when it's dark, have you ever looked out across the earth, like, like from a mountaintop or a high place when it's night, and it's just nothing? 
And as the sun comes up, the earth is transformed like, you know, like a stamp in a clay thing. Like it's, it's given shape. And this is God pointing to this. Listen, I even created the world that is recreated every morning. Like it's brought out into the light and all its splendor. Like I am able to do this stuff. God is powerful. God is mighty. God is amazing. Um, from the wicked there, light is withheld. Now watch this. What he's talking about is um, light is withheld would refer to death or the fact that, like, they are not given protection from God. And he says, listen, you might think I'm unfair, because you people, like, not talking to y'all, I'm sorry, but because God is speaking to these guys, y'all are saying I'm unjust. Y'all are saying I'm punishing sin when I'm not. Y'all are saying this, y'all are saying that. You're talking about justice as though you understand it. Understand, I made justice. I brought it about. I set it in motion. I control it. Do you, can you do any of that? And we all answer, no. Um, have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. Um, all right, so there's two bits here, right? Like, we have seen the depths of the sea, right? Do we understand death yet? Like, God not only understands the deepest and darkest places within our world, but he understands um, what happens after it. By the way, has God talked about Job's un- unhappiness at this point? Not really, right? <laughs> not at all, in fact. Um, God is doing something very different here. He's giving Job an answer he didn't expect. Um, But what he says, look, you know what? I understand everything about the creation. I understand the depths of the ocean. I understand things you will never, ever in your life see. I have been there. I created it. I control it. It is mine. Um, Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know this. And Job never probably traveled more than 50 miles from his home in his entire life. He didn't understand the expanse of the earth, right? You just can't. It's not possible. And even today, we can't understand it in the way God understands it. Is there, or excuse me, where is the way of the dwelling of the light and darkness? Where is is its place? Um, That you may take it to its territory, then, excuse me, and that you may discern the path of its home. You know, for you are born then, and the number of your days is great. He actually insults Job at the end of this. And I think it's kind of a funny insult. He's, he's, Nudging him like how I tease Craig for being old. Um, he says, uh, by, all right, we'll get to that in a second. Um, the dwelling place of the light. Now, it's one of these things that in Hebrew poetry, they would personify things. Like if you read Proverbs, wisdom is personified. And it talks about wisdom's home and the path that it takes. The light and the darkness, he does the same thing. Do you know the dwelling place of light? Do you know where the darkness hangs out? Do you know where their houses are? Can you give me directions? Um, Obviously, he can't. He doesn't understand these things. And God is speaking in poetic terms here. Um, But he's saying, you do not understand this. I created, I control, I understand. It is my system. Um, You know for you were born then, right? And there's the sarcastic little poke. Because Job's probably the oldest guy in the circle of people he's talking to. He's probably about 70 years old at this point. And, and in that ancient culture, 70 was ancient. 
People didn't live that long very often. He was, he was an old man at this point, and everybody would have revered him for it. And he was sitting in a place of reverence because everybody around him was talking to him as though he was a revered man. But, like, he got insulted his age, right? It says, even as old as you are and as much as these guys look up to you for being old and for being wise, like, you're not, not compared to me, right? I, I don't know who the oldest person in the room is, and I'm not going to guess, Craig. Um, but... <laughs> But <laughs> I saw him peek around. That was great. I, uh, but um, the reality is even the oldest person you will ever meet is a blink in the eye of, of the age of the earth, right? And even the age of the earth is a blink of the eye in relation to God's eternity. Like when we speak wisdom as though we can steal it from God or we can demand things of God, um, we're speaking as children, as less than children really. Because we have such a limited perspective, and that sometimes happens with our kids, right? They have a limited perspective on the world, and they complain and cry out and everything else, and they just don't understand um, because they have a limited perspective. Um, So God kind of tweaks Job a little, and I think that's a sign that he's not ready to squish him at this point. Um, Have you entered into the storehouse of the snow, or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, uh, which I have reserved for a time of distress, for the day of war and battle? Where is the way that the light is divided? Excuse me. Where is the way that the light is divided or the east wind scattered on the earth? Now, he talks about hail being God would use hail to destroy things. Like if you read, there's a bunch of instances where enemy armies would come charging in and hailstones would kill them. You know, or one of the plagues where, you know, talent, a talent, a 20 pound hailstone, hailstones fell on Egypt during the 12, during the plagues. You know, God would use hailstones. He references it. Hey. The snow and the hail that I use to defend you people, like, do you know where I keep it? You know, do you understand any of this? Do you understand how the light is divided? Do you understand any of this? And the answer is no. Who has cleft a channel for the flood? Um, In the Transjordan area here where this is happening, there's rivers that come through and they sort of meander. It's a little like the Marias. The Marias meanders, right? Back and forth and everything else. That's what he's referencing. This meandering cut in the in the world. These coolies and everything, or the way, or a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on a land without people, on a desert without man in it. By the way, he's saying, I make it rain in the desert where it doesn't do anything. I have so much I can dump water out on the sand where it disappears. Like I am that wealthy. Like, can you lecture me about it? And the answer is, no. Um. To satisfy the waste in a desolate land and to make seed of grass to sprout. Has the rain a father or who has begotten the drops of dew um, from, excuse me, from whose womb has, the, has come the ice and the frost of heaven who has, who has given birth to it? Water becomes hard like snow and the surface of the deep is imprisoned. Um, he says, hey, do you know how to make it snow? Know how to make the dew show up? Know how to make it rain? The answer is, do you know how to turn the rivers into ice? Nope. Job's striking out left and right, right? Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Meaning, can you make the stars do what they do? Now, this is a neat thing. Job lived in a desert area where the world was an awful lot like here. 90% of the year, you can go out and sit in the dark and see lots and lots of stars. And TV was not very good back then. Um, And so what they would watch was the stars. 
And they studied them, and they understood how they moved, and they understood the seasons based on them. And they navigated by them, and they guessed at the world around them based on them. Um, Some of the most profound discoveries in astronomy happened um, in the ancient world. These guys figured out so much just watching the stars because they didn't have anything else to do. Um, And and when he asked, he says, listen, um, can you lead forth a constellation in its season or guide a bear with her satellites? Um, do you know the ordinance of the heaven or fix their rule over the earth? So God says, do you control the planets and the stars, Job? And the answer is, anybody sensing the theme? No. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thank you so much, Big D. <laughs> I needed you to bail me out with some light. <laughs> Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that the abundance of water will cover you? By the way, anybody here can do that? No, because no, I'm pretty sure there's some farmers who are ticked off at you right now if you can and you haven't, right? Um, the reality is we can't make it rain on our own. We can sort of nudge it along, but we can't make it happen. Not when there's no clou- clouds in the sky, we can't. Can you send forth lightning that they may go and say to, and say to you, here you are? Meaning, can you command the lightning to do stuff? Um, who has put wisdom in the innermost being? All right, we're going to hit pause there real quick. So you can't control the weather, Job, right? No. Um, who has put wisdom in the innermost being? So he shifts gears. He says, weather, stars, natural systems, creation, all of this stuff. Do you understand all of it? And then he steps up and he says, can you put wisdom in your heart, Job? Can you understand things, like put understanding in your own mind? Can you do that? And in reality, like, I think this transition happens because God says, listen, everything outside of you, and you can't do anything with what's in you. Like, you, you're speaking foolishly, Job. You have no wisdom, and you have no understanding. And, and yet, right? Who can count out the clouds by wisdom or tip the water jars of the heaven when the dust hardens into mass and the clods stick together? Um, it, the mention of wisdom here in relation to rain is a big deal, and here's why. Um, God has gone from the source of the universe to understanding the systems on which the world depends. Now, these guys have been talking to Job and talking about God's system of justice and God's system of fairness and God's system of retribution. And they assumed they had God's system in their hands. And in reality, God backs up and says, listen, there are systems in place that you don't get, right? And so his answer to Job, when Job demands a day in court, is, look, Job, I love you, but you don't understand. Look, Job, I'm here. I'm in control, right? Because that's the bottom line of all this, right? Like if God set the world in motion, God is in control. He's saying, I have this. I am in control, and you need to trust me. How awful is that? How hard is it to trust anyone? You know what I mean? Any of y'all ever gone through a period of time where it seemed like your whole life was spinning out of control and you couldn't grab hold of it and make it work? And the harder you tried to make it work and the harder you tried to make yourself happy and the harder you tried to just, just get it nailed down, the worse it got. Is it just me? <laughs> There's two. So you're like four, Abby. Six, Abby. You can't... <laughs> But I'm guessing this may be the case for you too, sweetheart. Um, in reality, God is saying, hey, I have systems by which I operate. I have a plan. I have set the world in motion, Job. 
and like you talk big, but you talk ignorant. And you need to understand that you're, you're talking ignorant. I'm in control, Job. I got this. Um, does Job want that? I think at the barest sense, because God doesn't give him answers. God asks him, tells him basically, look, you don't, you're not on my level. You don't control the world. You're not me. Um, you need to trust me. You need to trust me. Um, and I, I think at the bottom of it, I think Job trusts him. Does that make sense? I think Job backs up and says, you know what, God, I get it. I get it. You're in control. Because after this, Job is fine. I mean, I'm sure he's still sad. I'm sure he's still sick. I'm sure he's still hurting. But he doesn't demand things of God, right? In fact, he apologizes. I'm sorry I talked in ignorance. And God says, you know what, you didn't sin, which is important because, like, the fact that you didn't sin means that we can cry out to God when we're hurting, right? Um, But at the bottom line of it, we have to back up and say, God's in control. God's in control. I don't understand it. God's in control. And you know what? I want to understand, don't we? I want to understand. But, but, I don't, I don't know. I tell this to people all the time. Let me see if I can put this better. I, I've sat with people um, at deathbeds, and I've, I've counseled with folks who had major tragedy, and I've, I, I've known folks who were abused horribly, and, and I, I have folks ask me why. And I, I oftentimes come back to this like, look, if you knew why, would it not hurt? It probably still would, right? Still hurt like heck. Like we ask why because we think we can get a grip on things if we understand them. It's just not the case. In reality, why is, why is a question we ask in pain? Um, what God gives us in response is, I'm in control, trust me. I know it hurts, I'm here, trust me. That's not a shotgun answer. Y'all with me? It's not. Because I don't want to hear God's in control. Trust me. But, you know, we can look at other instances where this happened. And watch this. I'm going to sit on my bucket while I say this. There is this spot in the New Testament, right, where Jesus is sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying. And he's praying. He's so scared and stressed out that he bleeds out of his skin, right? It's a condition where, like, it's been observed in other instances where stress gets so bad the capillaries in the skin burst open and blood comes out. Jesus knew why, right? He said, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from my lips. And, and then he said, not, your, not my will, but your will be done. In other words, God, I trust you and I'm going with you on this, right? Understanding didn't make it easy. I mean, understanding, it just didn't. At the end of the day, Jesus could understand and most of us can't. Um, if we could understand, it wouldn't make it any different that life hurts and that the world has fallen and it's broken and it's difficult. But we have to trust that God is in control during those times because otherwise everything is out of control, right? Otherwise we have to be God because that's what Job does. I mean, kind of at the bottom of it, right? Like, well, I declare that God's justice is unjust. Okay. But it doesn't work that way. Life is hard. We have to trust that God is in control. This is the hardest answer I could possibly give you guys, right? But at the end of the day, like if we believe that God is there, if we believe that God is good, if we believe that God is just, if we believe that God loves us, we have to trust him. 
I, I tell that to my daughter sometimes. She'll get so upset about things. And I'll say, Abby, do I love you? Yes. Do I do what's right for you? Do I? Do I take care of you? Would I do things that hurt you? Do I sometimes do things you don't like? That's the way it is. I guess in faith like a child will save us, right? But it's hard to be a child when you watch bad things happen. My, my point this morning, my challenge for you at the end of the day is to, is to stop in moments of hurt, in moments of frustration, in moments of difficulty and say, God, I trust you. It's not easy. But it's sometimes all we get. Sometimes God is quiet. Sometimes God lets us trust him. But he never abandons us. Ever, ever, ever abandons us. This kind of connects to last week's sermon where I talked about the psalm. It's online if you didn't hear it. But the psalmist starts out crying out to God. And then he says, God, I don't see you, but I can remember the good things you've done in the past. And so I trust you because of the good things you've done in the past because I know you can. So sometimes we trust God and we go back and we remember the good things we've done in the past. he's done for us in the past. Um, like sending his son to die for our sins, right? I'm broken, but I know Jesus died for me. I feel hopeless, but I know there's hope because Christ rose from the dead. I miss people who've passed away, and I've had people pass away, and I miss them. But I know they'll live again because Jesus rose from the dead, and that's proof that everyone will live again. But we got to trust. I guess it would be easier if it wasn't that way, but you know what? I've never encountered a person who had a completely easy life and developed significant depth. You know what I mean? I think of, uh, and she's not here, and that's why I'm going to use it, Um, Rebecca. One of her favorite books is... What? Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> what? <laughs> Did you you knew that, Larry? Right? <laughs> One of Rebecca's favorite books is Pride and Prejudice, and she laughs at the women in Pride and Prejudice because they are so shallow and dumb, right? Because they have lived this pointless, empty life. And, like, they never develop depth because they never experience anything hard, and they never have to grow, and they never have to trust anyone cradle to grave their babies. Isn't it the truth? Trust is how we grow. And that's another porcupine problem under the bucket. We'll talk about that in the future. I didn't mean to pull that out. But she wasn't here, and I needed to use Pride and Prejudice when she couldn't hear me. Um, (laughs) Because I will not acknowledge having read any part of that book or knowing anything about it. <laughs> Nobody listens to the sermons this far. They all fall asleep before this point. It's <laughs> we trust God, we grow. Sometimes we slog through hard times. Um, but at the end of the day, like God's answer to Job is, you've got to trust me. I think the other thing that happens here is Job sees God and that's enough. Right? Job sees God and in the moment of seeing God, that was more than enough. And I think that will happen in eternity. There will be this time when every one of us will stand before God and we'll see him in all his splendor and every bad thing that's ever happened we won't demand of him we won't ask for accountability we will say wow that's plenty thank you right have we ever had a bad day and sat out under the stars and stared up at the wonder of creation and said you know what this is enough for right now that's the truth of it because God is more than enough for everything sometimes it's not answers often it's not answers um but he gives us himself. And he says, you can trust me 
You can be satisfied with me. It may be hard, but I'm crying with you. Let's close in prayer and I'll let you all go. I'm sorry, this is a really long, scattered sermon. I'm not sorry. I said what I had to say. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us. Those of us who are hurting this morning, those of us who are, are scratching at the ground and wishing it would rain, or, or those of us who are scratching at the sores on our body and demanding that God step up and make account for himself. Lord God, help us to look to you and just trust. Help us to accept the answer that you are there and you are in control. And as hard as it is, as difficult as it is, you have a plan. You set the whole world in motion. You know the hairs of on, our, on our head, literally the number of them, and not a one of them falls out without your will, Lord. We know you have us. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't forget to sign the thank you for Jim. And say hello to Kate, who is here, and we've missed her so much.